Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Hello and welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey from the Arts Commission, and this is the Arts Commission's weekly turn at the microphone here at MPB. Uh, each week we bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian, and that can be a visual artist, a musician, a craftsperson, or someone who helps promote the arts in their community. We've got a very special um, interview today for you. We're, we're, we're not talking to an artist, but we're talking to someone who's curated some art uh, for us to look at. And our guest today is Jane Hearn. Jane, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um the uh, So there's a brand new book out that you edited of photography called A Past That Won't Rest. It's on University Press of Mississippi. It contains uh, photographs from the civil rights era taken by your late husband, Jim Lucas. That's right. So tell us a little bit. So this is um, going back in time and, and, and pulling something together. Tell us just a little bit about the genesis of this project, where it came from, and, and, and how you got motivated to do it. Yes. Well, Jim Lucas was um, my late husband, and uh, he took all of these images while he was a college student at Millsaps, beginning in from 1964 to 1968. Uh, Jim was killed in a car accident in 1980, and uh, he was 36 years old. Now, all of these images have been in a cabinet for years, which I kept, um, among prints, uh, contact sheets, memorabilia, and vintage negatives. So it wasn't until uh, my husband Terry and I decided that we were going to move to South Carolina once he retired, and I had never done anything with this cabinet full of, of photographs, this whole collection. It was there when I decided I needed to get into it and take a look at it. Um, I had become interested in archives uh, with my work at Tougaloo College, where I was a trustee for many years, and I helped some and worked with the archivists there, Clarence Hunter and Minnie Watson, who were there at Tougaloo. Um, originally, I thought my first inclination was to leave the collection here with the archives, uh, but I had this obligation, I felt this obligation to really l look and see what was in there. You see, when, when Jim died, he was pursuing a freelance film career. He was a cinematographer by that time. Um, he went on, he started um, his photography at a very early age. He was actually shooting for the Jackson Daily News, which was our evening paper here, uh, when he was 14 years old, he he couldn't um, get to his assignments unless his mother drove him. So by the time he got to Millsaps, he was technically very proficient technically, and he was really a professional photojournalist by that time. It so happened that in, in the summer of 1964, he found um, the CBS news crew was in town all the reporters were in town from all over the country and all over the world because uh, everyone was looking for the missing civil rights workers in Neshoba County, Michael Schwerner, James Cheney, and Andrew Goodman. So Jim was able to get hired as a runner 
for the film crew. And at the same time that he was working for them, he had his still cameras. So he was able to document the search himself. Um, then he went on to cover, um, he became a stringer for Time Magazine, Life Magazine, and UPI. He actually had um, a photograph that was in, included in Life Magazine, and they're spread when the bodies were found. Jim was at the morgue at University Medical Center when the hearse came in, and he did photographs, and the book has photographs of the bodies being unloaded there. So um, he went on to send photographs whenever he could to national uh, magazines and newspapers. So he's covered um, the Meredith March, one day at the Meredith March, the funeral um, and demonstration when Warless Jackson was murdered by the Klan in Natchez. That was in 1967. And then in, uh, also in 1967, when the U.S. Senate hearings on poverty, uh, four U.S. senators came to, to Mississippi to assess um, the um, federal funding and how that was being handled for the Head Start programs. And there was a large hearing at the Heidelberg Hotel. He covered that, and then Marion Wright who was, she's now Marion Wright Edelman, but she was testifying there, and she invited um, Robert Kennedy to go to the Delta and see the poverty firsthand. So his entourage went the next day, and Jim covered uh, their, uh, their trip as far as the Greenville part of their trip was concerned. Yeah, so... Um, this is where he got all these photographs. Right. And so the book kind of is divided up into sections and mm -hmm. it has uh, an accompanying essay from a historian or a journalist that kind of uh, talks about the, the context around the event that, that he's photographing. So you get a little bit of historical context as well as the images. That's right. And each of the, each of the essays that introduced the chapters on these events uh, were done by people who have written books on that subject. So it does give a whole lot of insight into what is happening. I think that it, it becomes a, a really good education for those people who didn't live during the Civil Rights Movement or who may not have been aware of what was really happening then. Right. You're listening to the Arts Hour on uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Larry Morsey, and our guest today is Jane Hearn, and we're talking about a new book that just came out that she edited of her late husband Jim Lucas's photographs called A Past That Won't Rest. Um, so you mentioned about his early start as a, as a teenager. Did he ever talk with you about, like, what it got him interested in photography, or was there someone in the family, or how did he get started? You know, I, I really don't know. He didn't, he didn't uh, really talk about that much, and he didn't talk about covering the civil rights um, events that much, except a couple, of, a couple of times he told me about some, a few harrowing, you know, tales. But um, he was really pursuing this film career as a freelance um, cinematographer here in Jackson, and that led him to get on with several feature films, and uh, from and he was really 
he was being well, getting well known for his technical ability and um, his expertise. So he was moving up in the uh, on the camera crews. Do you know? Did he ever take any photography classes, like at Millsaps, or was it all just a kind of a self-taught kind of work? It was self-taught. He did go to seminars, and he was always the kind of person that, and he taught me that that people who really do know what they're doing will always share their expertise with you. And so he would just ask a million questions. Uh, and he was very young, but he was asking questions for, to people a lot older and a lot, a lot more with a lot more experience. So he had experience, technical experience in, uh, t- in, in cameras and in film and all of the <clears throat> technical part of it. Also, of course, the lab work. He did all the lab work. But he also learned pretty quickly how to network, and particularly for someone that age. So he he had a he did cover some. There were some Freedom Riders in 1961. A couple of shots of Freedom Riders, and he had made some contacts with those people, and they were back in Jackson you know, during 1964. Okay, so he was revisiting them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess just the, 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 the churn of the news cycle, too, having to go out and just produce photographs gets you focused really quickly in terms of finding your shot and those kind of things as well. Well, and I, you didn't just take it. You know, you also had to, you had to print it, and there was that. So he was doing the lab work as well. But, yes, I think... You know, he really knew how. I think the photographs in the book can attest to the fact that he knew how to choose his moment. Yes, they're they're technically beautiful, but also um, he really knew how to capture that moment, how to compose it, because most of these pictures are not cropped; they're they're full full image pictures. Mm-hmm. So his composition was right on. His use of available light and multiple lenses. Uh, he he shot with three cameras. He had two rangefinder cameras, and then he had a thirty-five millimeter uh, single lens. So um, he was taking some, you know, different types of perspective. Yeah, it, it definitely comes in when 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 I learned that he was, became a cinematographer. It makes total sense because you just see, um, uh, like there's an, an Im- image from the March Against Fear that's kind of this long, yes, this long you know column of people that seems to stretch on forever, and the and the afternoon light is hitting and long shadows. I mean, it's just so it's such a beautiful image, but it also you know really illustrates what happened in this event mm-hmm. and the. And the camaraderie as well as kind of the just that grassroots of people rising up, you know. That's right. He would, you know, he would, a lot of these photographs are of, of groups, but then there are some very intimate portrait-type photographs in the book as well. Um, one that comes to mind is the during the Warless Jackson funeral when he covered that, um, the the shot of, of Warless Jackson Jr. is just a, a real... Um, intimate moment and mm-hmm. very strong, very beautiful. Yeah, all black and white images, so kind of the classic look. Uh, 
Um, the other thing that's interesting, you know, and I think some of the historians pointed out is while there are some of the big names in here, you see, of course, the images of Robert Kennedy and uh, Stennis and uh, there's some of Charles Evers, but it's primarily the, the people, the local people who were involved in these uh, in, in these protests and walks and things like that. That's right. And in fact, the last, the fifth chapter does talk a lot about grassroots. The contributor to that chapter is Dr. Robert Luckett from Jackson State. And he, uh, in those planning sessions and demonstrations and pickets and bombings that are covered in that chapter, um, he's he very successfully pulls together that grass that form of grassroots organizing, which is which is swelling up again now. And he parallels that and shows how, how much that's, um, how, how much like today it is with the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, and you can see a little bit of the changes over time from the Neshoba County, 64, you can see the changes from the 64 to 68, even just within this book, the kind of the the tonal change of, of, mm-hmm. of what was going on. Yeah. Yes, because in 64, a lot of that was driven by um, the civil rights organizations that came to the state, like SNCC and CORE. But by 67, they were not here in force anymore. And so it, it, it went to the local people to keep the momentum going, to keep voter registration uh, happening. Right. Let's take a quick music break. Uh, we've got some Mississippi music lined up for you. This is a, a track from the art, uh, the musician Kel Kellum, who is a um, primarily a steel guitarist, but he's a multi-instrumentalist. And this is his, uh, he just put out an album of uh, instrumentals called Adding to the Ashes, uh, recorded up in Water Valley. So let's check this out. This is a track from Kel Kellum on the Arts Hour. We're back on the Arts Hour. Uh, this is Larry Morrissey, and my guest today is Jane Hearn. She has a new book of edited photographs from her late husband, Jim Lucas, called A Past That Won't Rest. Um, you had mentioned in kind of the opening that we were talking about kind of um, you had been holding on to his work, these, these photographs that he'd taken back in the 60s, and really hadn't. So during Jim's lifetime, you really hadn't looked at these with him, or he, he wasn't, I mean, he was busy and... Wasn't getting this stuff out, I guess. Well, we when we met, he was pursuing his his uh, freelance film career, and I was pursuing my career, and so we we really didn't get into looking at these at these still photographs. Um, he he did have them very meticulously stored and labeled and rostered, which was great. Ended up being a wonderful thing for me when I did finally get into this. But um, as I said, we were thinking about moving, and I was going to leave it uh, here. But as I, he had told me one time, I said, why are you keeping all of this stuff? And he said, well, there's history there. And he told me that there was some civil rights um, photographs in it, but I, knew to, I didn't know to what extent. So w- once I started looking at it, I, I really thought that, I should make sure that the public sees it and that these photographs get into the history of the civil rights movement. And more than that, that Jim be known as a 
as a movement photographer among all the wonderful other photographers that are out there. Um, so that led me to try to figure out how I was going to pursue this. And I was uh, lucky enough that one of my friends has, we had a, a mutual acquaintance. He was an acquaintance from high school. And he said, well, you need to call Red Morgan. Well, Red lives in Florida and he's a, he's a photojournalist. So I called him and I sent him some of Jim's images so he could take a look. And he was excited by them. And he said, well, he had retired and he had some time on his hands. So we went to work. And uh, with his help, we we began the process of um, sc- scanning them, uh, copywriting them, editing and processing them for um, an exhibit. That was our first thought. My first thought was to do an exhibit. Well, we had 35 uh, really wonderful images that were ready, printed and ready for exhibit uh, in 2014 in the summer at the 50th anniversary of the Veterans of Civil Rights in Mississippi. That was held in Tug- at Tougaloo College. So that was the first time that the work had been seen. And uh, from there, the Mississippi Humanities Council uh, was very helpful and supportive and so that we could tour this exhibit around Mississippi. So we sent it to 12 other venues with their help, and they had a speaker's bureau, and they also um, got Dr. Robert Luckett to write text panels. So... Once that was done and it was touring, um, Red and I created a website. It's jimlucasphotography.com. And then we mined for more photographs. So we kept going and every we would find more and more. You know, we thought we had thir- the 35 best, but we just kept discovering more in there. So that led to uh, expanding the exhibit to 65 images and that showed last summer at the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis at the Lorraine Hotel. And then from there, uh, this year, it went to Brown versus Board of Education Historic Site in Topeka, Kansas. And it's scheduled to go to the University of South Carolina next year. And I'm working on other venues uh, for the exhibit. Now, then... Once we did that, we suddenly had enough images for a book. And uh, I wrote the proposal to the University Press of Mississippi, and they agreed, and and the book came out in April. So now the book is a companion to the exhibit. It serves as a catalog of the exhibit, and uh, it's, we'll see where we go from here. What is the uh, – what's the sc- – so have you – have you gone through everything now, do you think, I've in terms of this? I've gone through just the civil rights. Okay. Since there was a roster, it was fairly simple for me to pull out the civil rights. There were 5,000 images just on the civil rights. I don't even know how many images are there. I haven't. I forgot to mention that Jim was um, drafted in 1968, and he was sent to the U.S. Signal Corps where he was trained as a film cameraman. 
He shot non-combat footage in Vietnam and Cambodia. And uh, he was actually, in 1979, he was named the DOD um, uh, Military Motion Picture Cameraman of the Year. And um, did I mention that I met him when he returned to Jackson? Yes, I did. Okay, so um, anyway, from that point on, he was shooting film. So did that answer your question? No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> just I'm just curious about the scope of like like how how many photos oh, are there? And you oh, said five thousand. Yeah, I so. was going to say that's right because the slides and everything that he took in Southeast Asia, you know, just personal yeah. images. I haven't even gotten through those, but I know we're past twenty five thousand images just in the in the black and white section. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I guess the, the the army, the time in the army, actually kind of then gave him the training that led him to right. his film career. Then that's right. That's that's great. Yeah, he became committed at that point, and uh, and he always did want to shoot feature films. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're listening to the Arts Hour on Mississippi Art and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Excuse me. There's a lot of Mississippis in there. And we're talking to Jane Hearn today. She's got a book out called A Past That Won't Rest. It features the photographs from the civil rights era by her late husband, Jim Lucas. Um, I was curious, you know, when you brought – so the, the, the kind of the public debut of these images was during the, the Freedom Summer um, fest, you know, the 50th anniversary of Freedom Summer. And, and I'm curious to – what was the feedback from the veterans and the other people who saw these? And they're all seeing these for the first time. You know. Oh, well, yes, it was very good. I'm, I mean, um, I was hoping that people would spot themselves. That didn't happen as, yeah. because people have changed. So it's awful, it's been very hard to identify some, some of the people in the images. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it, yeah, it was very well received and... I would think, especially because um, now that we've had kind of civil rights um, historians, you know, working for what probably like thirty years now, there's a lot of images that we see over and over and over again. You know, that that kind of tell the story of uh, civil rights to have so have this whole new cache kind of come out. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it it, it um, it's really it's really neat because you get to see the you know the stuff that you've heard about, but in a different way, so it, it, a different perspective on it as well. So. Well, I think too, a lot of times when you see them, you'll see one image here and one image there. This is a little bit different in that we have a bit of a story format, and then adding the um, contributors with the essays, then fills that out. So given the scope of what you're talking about, do you see future exhibits, future projects where you're going to kind of highlight some other um, sets that he he made? Well, um, at this point, I'm going to try to get these images seen around the country. I feel like I've traveled it through Mississippi, which was my, my intent, and then now to share it with a a broader audience. Um, in terms of the civil rights photographs, I think I've covered most of the stories that are there. Um, he did also love to shoot circus, the Barnum and Bailey circus when it came to town because it came in on a train. And uh, he, I know I went with him once to, to meet the train 
at, in the middle of the night. So there are plenty of circus photographs and state fair photographs that that have a, another life of their own. So I might get okay. to that. That's something in the future <laughs> to look forward to. But by and large, I mean, there's just only a tiny fraction that were actually published, like just these ones that you, they're mentioned in different parts of the book about, well, this one, like you mentioned, the 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 ones shot at the University Medical Center. But by and large, they were never, they were shot, but not, not publicly used. used in any right. way. Yeah. No, he did, you know, yeah, he did uh, submit okay. a lot. But back then, of course, life had their own photographers and time. So he did have one or two that made Time magazine. So that was a great break for him, particularly at his age. But... Um, there were a lot of reporters here. There were, you know, they were covering this, and there was UPI and Associated Press, and so you had, you know, quite a lot of competition. Were any of the images of, of Robert Kennedy published at that time? Do you no. know? Mm-mm. And they're super compelling, wonderful images too. I mean, you know, the one of there's one of Kennedy kind of backlit at the at the hearing, I guess, here mm-hmm. in Jackson that. You could have seen, and you know, it's like a classic Kennedy image. So it's just, it is kind of amazing to think, you know, that it makes you think about all the things that we don't know about, you know, when you when you see something this good. So it's 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 something else. Um, so when when you actually got into it, you were. You kind of, I, I think in your, in your kind of afterward, you talk about you kind of, you, you learn the process yourself of kind of like doing some scanning and, and, and kind of processing these images. Well, actually, I scanned in cont- contact sheet form, and okay. then from there, I had to copyright them, and then from there, we edited. Uh, Red and I sat down and edited and decided uh, how to how to make this work, and he did the technical part of restoring the photographs because now they're digitized, you know, then he had mm-hmm. to digitize them. Were they in, in, in good condition in terms of... They were in pretty good condition, but, you know, after all, they're 50 years old. Right. So. And then how did you... Um, so each kind of set, each little storyline in the book has an accompanying... Uh, essay that we talked about earlier. How did you, of course, you mentioned Robert Luckett was involved with the exhibit side of this. How did you bring in the other uh, historians and and journalists that were involved? Well, as I started researching, uh, I found the books by, for instance, Aram Gazuzian, who's with the University of Memphis. He has a book called Down to the Crossroads, which is a wonderful book about the Meredith March in great detail. It's a great read. And uh, he, he, once I, you know, once I sent them the photographs, each one of these contributors, once they saw the photographs, they they were on board. Um, Ellen Meacham was in the middle of writing her book, Delta Epiphany, which also came out this spring from University Press of Mississippi. And when she and I got together, someone had told, had seen the exhibit at Tougaloo and told her because they knew she was writing a book. Well, then we got together and I let her use the contact sheets because she wanted to use some of the photographs for her book. 
So some of the photographs are in her book, but some of the ones that she used, we we did especially for her. Yeah. Is the cover one of the images, the cover in her book? Isn't it one of the... No, that actually, that image is by another okay. another photographer. But it's similar in terms of... It is very similar. Because as I said, there were multiple photographers right. at the, at the side. A bunch of people all at once. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes. Forget about that part. Everywhere Kennedy walked, I'm sure there were she people did, following her. She did use this portrait image that you were talking about on the spine okay. of her book. Great. That's great. Uh-huh. Let's take another quick music break. We're going to listen to another track from Cal Callum, the slide guitarist and instrumentalist from Oxford, from his new album, Adding to the Ashes, here on the Arts Hour. We're back for our final segment of the Arts Hour today. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Jane Hearn, and we're talking about the photography of her late husband, Jim Lucas, and the book, A Past That Won't Rest, that is a collection of his civil rights-era photography. So you had mentioned a couple times um, you know, that he, by the time that y'all had met, he was in a, in a motion film career, not a, still photography. Yeah. And, you know, looking on IMDb, I was, you know, just putting his name in, you can do that for everybody now, and just saw all the films that he had worked on, uh, even with that short career. I was just curious for you to talk a little bit about, you know, that period of his life and, and, and what he was doing and, and where he saw himself going maybe a little bit. Well, of course, he wanted to be a director of photography, the DP. Uh, And he had gotten to the point where he was uh, DP on second unit in one of the films. But he started out as best boy. That's actually an electrician type of job. Uh, When when, uh, Robert Altman came to Mississippi and shot Thieves Like Us, now that's an awful long time ago. So... uh, He really had the bug after that. But um, he was shooting what he could shoot here and live in Mississippi. Like that was back when we did football films for playback shows, advertising, um, some newsreel, news film work. Um, He shot some for NBC out of the Dallas Bureau, and he did a couple of 60-minute segments. Uh, but he, in some documentaries. Um, this is like as, as a freelancer yes, being hired. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, most of the crews are put together either in Los Angeles or New York and then sent to location. So it's kind of tough when you live in Mississippi. Uh, and there a, was a lot of union stuff then, too. Um, there were different unions for different parts of the country. But anyway, he was we was networking a lot and and getting known, and uh, he did really enjoy working on Honeysuckle Rose. Uh, that was really a fun um, film to work on, and that was with Willie Nelson. So I got to go on that set too. Oh wow! It was great. And then, um, well, tell us some memories of Honeysuckle Rose. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, I had my dog Munchkin, and we were in the dailies, you know, and Munchkin was enjoying the the dailies, which were they were shot, what they shot that day. Mm -hmm. Um, The Diane Cannon was on that, and, of course, Willie Nelson and Amy Irving. And um, it was just a real fun time. Willie Nelson had a a bar, and so after, it was just kind of a place where they had uh, bands. So after work, everybody would go to Willie's place and the band would 
play, and it was just great. I mean, it was just. So Willie would get up and perform like after. Yeah, yeah, they would. You know, it was just it was just wild. It was really fun. Um, also, uh, the border with Jack Nicholson. He worked some on that. Um, he worked on Smokey and the Bandits too. Um, the Long Riders. He did some work there. Munchkin got to go to that set too. Oh, good for Munchkin. <laughs> Good for Munchkin. Our schnauzer. <laughs> and so he was kind of, like you said, you started, he was kind of slowly, each movie, trying to kind of move his way up in terms of the hierarchy of the of Right, the right. You have to get known for your, you know, for your professionalism and your proficiency before you can get on. And he was he was doing that. It was on the film Barbarossa starring Willie Nelson that was being shot in Texas where he was in this automobile accident. Mm-hmm. It was after hours. It was not during the filming, but I see. And so the the Altman film was that like the first step, like his foot in the door that 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 got him kind of into these major productions. I think that's the first major production that he really was a part of. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm just curious, given you know the internet now, people can. Oh, but yeah. back then, it was like he's calling people on the phone, or he's. It must have been a challenge to try to figure out how to get. Get your foot in the door with stuff like you said is that's being set up that's in right. Los it, Angeles and New York. It was difficult to live. the The last two years um, that he lived, he didn't work in Mississippi at all um, because there weren't, you know. And even if there was a film here, he'd likely be on one somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my one of my I don't know if you have any memories of this, but one of my childhood favorites that I saw on the list was Escape from New York. That was that Kurt Russell movie, yeah. kind of action adventure movie. Yeah. It was uh, shot in St. Louis, by the way, Kevin Farrell. So, duly noted. <laughs> Parts of it, at least. Well, um, while we were talking during the break as well about um, uh, one of the contributors here is Charles Overby, who's a, a journalist, uh, native of Jackson, and he talks about kind of the parallels of of his early years as a journalist, and and Jim's as well. That's right. Um, I was trying to to find a link for the the preface. That was important to me that I find someone who had um, the drive and the understanding of what they wanted to do at at a young age. Well, it happened that Red knew... um, Charles had worked with Charles in Florida on a paper there. So when I looked at Charles's bio, it was just seemed to be perfect because there they had both worked at the Jackson Daily News about the same time. But Jim was from Murrah and Charles was from Provine, which back in those days there were just three high schools and so there was a big rivalry. You know, but they just didn't know each other, had not run up on each other. Uh, but Charles had taken his career, and uh, he ended up being the editor of the Clare and Ledger Jackson Daily News and went on to be an outstanding journalist. And he also uh, was the president and CEO of the uh, museum, founded the museum, and uh, then the Overby Center at Ole Miss oh, now, yes, yeah. and he's now, you know, he still does some some instruction there, you know, just, so, um, 
I was able to talk him into to writing the preface, and he did a great job. And yeah. he, he recounts some of his stories of covering some of the same some of the same uh, events, and uh, so. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the Arts Hour, and I'm Larry Morrissey, and we're talking with Jane Hearn about the new book that she just edited called A Past That Won't Rest. It's civil rights-era photography from her late husband, Jim Lucas. Um, Overby, uh, I'm, I'm just curious about Overby's kind of, you know, he was he was at the Ledger during the period, like, when they were winning the the, Pulit- the awards and that right. kind of thing with the Hedermans. Yes, I believe, yeah. the Pulitzer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I mean, as someone who's a lifetime in journalist, it must have been interesting to hear his reaction to these photographs as well. I mean, just someone who lived through that and then getting to see these for the first time. Well, yes, I think it all kind of brought it back to him, too, on, you know, what he was encountering. You know, they were in the middle of history being history happening and in a great spot to be able to to cover that. So so what's your kind of hope for these images going moving forward? They've gotten the book treatment, you're moving them out nationally. What are some other kind of long-range goals that you have for them? Well, I just it's important to me. I just want them to be seen. I think the most important thing is that the the stories be told and that the photographs be seen and that Jim Lucas' name be uh, among those uh, courageous photographers of that era. Yeah. Um, did did Jim, you know, with with being um, a film person and that, did he have other artistic interests like drawing or, or anything that like kind no. of connects to the art, arts at all? Well, it's very funny. He didn't consider himself artistic, although he was, you know, just he considered himself technically a technical um, cameraman, but he didn't really see the the artistic. Um, But then when you put all these photographs together, you see it immediately. Um, you know, he was in school. He was probably trying to, you know, he probably had exams and other things to do. So he never got to see the body of work, I don't think, in this way. Had he, I think he would have realized that he was uh, certainly as artistic as anyone could anticipate. What what years was he at Millsaps? What was the time period um, he was there? Well, he went to Vanderbilt. As a freshman, for okay. one year he went one year at Vanderbilt, and then went to um, Millsaps for three years. So he was he left in sixty eight, sixty three to sixty eight, I guess. Okay, and then drafted the following year. Drafted in sixty eight. Sixty eight. Okay. And I met him in seventy three. So and then he like he fresh di- out of the army, basically. Right, okay. fresh out, and he was then he and he died in eighty. Wow. Mm-hmm. So brief. Did he have, I mean, I, I was thinking about uh, relatives of mine in their, you know, Vietnam experiences. Did he, was that something that he put aside as well in terms of like speaking of it or, you know, kind of relating the things that happened to him? Well, he was shooting film. He um, he was shooting non-combat footage. Right. 
So that would be things like, oh, it could be any number of things, like when they were doing maneuvers or they were uh, building infrastructures. Uh, the, the film that he won the award for was when um, the Army was helping um, a school for blind girls. So there were a lot of different types of things that they would cover that weren't out in the where the war was actually happening. Okay. Although he did, he was in Cambodia and where uh, they were bombed and he was hurt um, in Cambodia, but uh, he was not on the line shooting that sort of footage. Right, right. Well, I guess in some way it's also thinking back about uh, it kind of makes sense in that he was a college student the whole time he's for pretty much what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. He's shooting these images, trying to get them sold, I guess, because right. it's a, a means of income for him, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, okay, put those in the drawer and, you know, on to the next thing. They're well, that's right. not much time for reflection. Well, that's right. As you go down the roster, you know, there'll be... Um, There'll be a um, football game, and then there'll be a fraternity swap, and then there might be Charles Evers doing the Poor People's March in Jackson, you know, and then it'll go back to um, a, another college life something. So it, it was completely integrated with his college life uh, for shooting for the Newspaper and oh, the, the Millsaps uh, and paper. the Millsaps uh, annual. Okay. And when when he was at Murrah shooting for the annual and the uh, there and also shooting for Jackson Daily News. Now those negatives belong to Jackson Daily News, so I don't have the negatives of what okay. he covered for them, but he did have a clipping of every single one. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Well, it'd be interesting to see just the kind of the the high school stuff, just in terms of local history. You know, the quality of his images. You know, I'm I'm sure there would be some good ones in there eventually for some local history project as well. Oh, there were some that were sort of tried and true. That went, he did the shot, and then every year afterwards, someone would do the same setup. There were some with the Murrah misses in a V formation that he set up, and there were several that kind of became iconic type of shots that they would somebody Just else recreate. would recreate every okay. year. He was the originator. He was. Very good. <laughs> so so Jane, tell us about um give us the the four one one on the book, the website, and all the other information related to this project. Well the website is Jim Lucas Photographs uh, dot com and um in this this coming spring, in uh, in April, uh, I will Ellen Meacham and I and I will be doing um, a talk at the Millsaps Arts and Lecture Series. Oh, okay, great. And we'll be showing some some images. When Kennedy was at, was here, he took time to do a talk at Millsaps. And that's not covered in the book, but we're going to cover that. We're going to get those images out and cover that. Um, There's photos that Jim took for yes. that as well? Oh, great. Yes. That'll be very special for the yeah. Millsaps community yeah. for sure. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's thank you. enjoyed it very much. 
For those of you tuning in late or you'd like to share the show you just heard with a friend, you can go to the MPB website at mpbonline.org. They post all of our past Arts Hour shows there as streaming files. You can also go on to whatever podcast uh, application that you use to listen on your phone or wherever and download this show as a podcast as well. Until next time, we'll be seeing you around.